Welcome to my show. Everything you've always wanted to know about the Catholic faith, but did not have anyone to ask. This is your host, Abraham, and for the next 12 minutes, I'll try to answer your questions about the Catholic faith. From the back-breaking God's foreknowledge and free will, to what food was served at the Last Supper, and everything in between. Here, you ask the questions, we give the answers. I promise you, each episode will not end without you learning something new about our Catholic faith. And now, for episode 18, Mary, Mother of God. It's January 1st, 2021, and the Church celebrates the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. First, let's take a look at the origins of perhaps the greatest, and dare I say, most appropriate title of Our Lady, Mother of God. Counterintuitive as it may seem, heresies actually helped the Church grow, and the heresy in Nestorianism is one good example. It is because Nestorianism that the Church affirmed Perhaps the greatest and, dare I say, most appropriate title of Our Lady, Mother of God. We have to thank Nestorius, the Bishop of Constantinople in the 5th century. For without the heresy attributed to him, the events leading to the Church defining the title Theotokos might not have been triggered, delaying this most beautiful, most appropriate, and most perfect title of Our Lady, Mother of God. From the get-go, I'd like to say that Nestorius was not a villain here. He fiercely fought the Arians, the Novatians, and the other heresies of his time. And the curious thing about him is that he was not even an historian himself, strictly speaking. Notwithstanding that this particular heresy has his name on it, how was Nestorius not an historian heretic himself? Well, he spoke of the two natures which are adored in the one person of the only begotten by a perfect and unconfused conjunction. The problem is that he claimed that Our Lady is mother of one nature, not of the person as the church teaches. Nestorius preferred the term Christotokos, Mother of Christ, and not Theotokos, Mother of God. He also insisted that, and I quote, no one can bring forth a son older than herself, end quote. Origen, who died in AD 254, was already mentioning the term Theotokos. And Dionysius of Alexandria used the term in about AD 250 in a letter to Paul of Samosata. By the way, a person is an individual substance of a rational nature. Now, what the church does whenever questions like this arise is to convene a council, a meeting of bishops all over the world in union with the Pope 
to settle questions. And that is what happened here. The Council of Ephesus in AD 431 affirmed the traditional church teaching on Theotokos. And I quote, If anyone does not confess that God is truly Emmanuel, and that on this account the Holy Virgin is the Theotokos, for according to the flesh she gave birth to the Word of God, become flesh by birth. Let him be anathema. End quote. What did the Council of Ephesus of 431 define? Number one, that Jesus was both divine and human. Number two, that the two natures were united in his one person. Number three, insisted on the use of the title in Greek, Theotokos affirming the central truth of what occurred in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Nestorius insisted that Our Lady be called Christokotokos, birth giver of Christ, also translated as Christ bearer. The problem with this term is that it necessarily suggests that Christ is two persons. Thus, Our Lady in giving birth to Jesus is the Christ bearer, but not God bearer. On the other hand, St. Cyril of Alexandria and a great number of bishops believed that Mary should be called Theotokos, birth giver to God, also translated as God bearer or mother of God. The use of this term affirmed that Jesus is one person in two natures which are united. The title Mother of God does not mean Mary somehow existed before God or much less Mary created God. No, but that Mary gave birth to Jesus who is fully God and fully human. Today, January 1st, the Catholic Church Latin Rite celebrates the solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. The Byzantine Rite and all West Syrian Rite, South Syrian Rites and East Syrian Rites celebrate Mother God Mary on December 26, while the Coptic Church does so on January 16. Precisely what are we celebrating here? I'd put it this way. Today, we celebrate God's goodness and wisdom, and especially the way God loves us. He accepts us words and all, despite our being unworthy. We celebrate God's acceptance of us, God's wanting us to be in communion with Him. Proof of that is that God not only took on our human nature, but He also chose to come to us through a human mother. Let me read to you a reflection given by Dom Prosper Geringer in his Lani Liturgique or Liturgical Year. Dom Prosper Geringer was one of the leading monastics and liturgists of his generation, and his writings were highly influential both in France and abroad. He is perhaps best known today 
through the pages of his La Lani Liturgique, the liturgical year, which he began in 1841 in order to make the riches of the liturgy more widely known by the faithful. In 15 volumes, which he did not live to complete, he follows the cycle of the liturgical year, illuminating the traditional liturgy with interpretations, commentaries, and riches collected from other liturgies, both of Eastern and Western Christendom. I will read verbatim what Dom Geringer wrote about today's feast, the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, and I quote, But it is today that we, the children of the Roman Church, must pour forth all the love of our hearts for the Virgin Mother and rejoice with her in the exceeding happiness she feels at having given birth to her and our Lord Jesus Christ. During Advent, we contemplated her as pregnant with the world's salvation. We proclaimed the glory of the Ark of the New Covenant, whose chaste womb was the earthly paradise chosen by the King of Ages for his dwelling place. Now she has brought him forth, the infant God. She adores him, he who is her son. She has the right to call him her child, and he, God as he is, calls her in strictest truth his mother. Let us not be surprised, therefore, at the enthusiasm and profound respect wherewith the church extols the Blessed Virgin and her prerogatives. Let us, on the contrary, be convinced that all the praise the church can give her and all the devo devotion she can ever bear towards her are far below what is due to her as mother of the incarnate God. No mortal will ever be able to describe or even comprehend how great a glory accrues to her from his sublime dignity. For as the glory of Mary comes from her being the mother of God, one would have first to comprehend God himself in order to measure the greatness of her dignity. It is to God that Mary gave our human nature. It is God whom she had as, she had as her child. It is God who glorified in rendering himself inasmuch as he is man subject to her. Hence, the true value of such a dignity possessed by a mere creature can only be appreciated in proportion to our knowledge of the sovereign perfections of the great God who thus deigns to make himself dependent upon that favored creature. Let us therefore bow down in deepest adoration before the majesty of our God. Let us therefore acknowledge that we cannot respect as it deserves the extraordinary dignity of her whom he chose for his mother. End quote. So there, Dom Prosper Geringer's thoughts on today's feast on the mother of God. 
We hope you've enjoyed the show. And we hope that this episode has added just a little bit more to your knowledge of the Catholic faith. If you've enjoyed the show, please share this podcast with others. It will mean so much to us. And please continue listening. Everything you've always wanted to know about the Catholic faith, but did not have anyone to ask. God bless you.